0: Listener production.
1: This week, the outrage at Qantas hit a real crescendo.
0: How many flight credits is Qantas Group holding on behalf of Australian customers? And why should Qantas keep their money if it's not claimed by the 31st of December?
2: If the Qatar decision had have gone ahead, would it have reduced Qantas's market share? You're walking away with $125 million over 15 years.
1: That was the grilling of Qantas CEO Alan Joyce in the Senate inquiry on Monday afternoon, where senators from both sides of politics lined up to channel the rage of Qantas customers directly at Alan Joyce.
2: Again, could I finish the previous question, Senator? But we also need no, to press. No, sorry, it. point of order, Chair.
1: Then yesterday, it was announced that Qantas were backing down on the COVID flight credit deadline at the end of the year, and that the competition watchdog was suing Qantas... So in this briefing, we're going to interview the chair of that Senate inquiry to see what other backdowns might be in store for the national carrier that's created national outrage.
2: These are all interventions in a free market that are causing higher prices for ordinary Australians.
1: First, here are today's headlines with Jan Fran. It is Friday the 1st of September.
0: Staying with Qantas, the airline has announced that COVID credits due to run out at the end of the year will now have no expiry date. That is good news for customers. On top of that, customers can also request a cash refund. These credits on vouchers will never expire. There you go. Alan Joyce there Mm. being uh, very frank, never expire. He was forced to scrap that expiry date, by the way, um, of half a billion dollars in Mm. flight credits that Qantas owes to customers. He didn't do it particularly willingly, did he? No.
1: No, not at all. And it took that Senate inquiry to get the real figure out of them. They said it was $370 last week. And then we found out, oh, there's also the Jetstar credits and the international credits mm-hmm. and push it up to half a billion.
0: Yeah, meanwhile, the consumer watchdog, the ACCC, has announced that it is taking legal action against Qantas because they allegedly sold tickets for around 8,000 flights that had been cancelled. These allegations are about what they did after they had decided to cancel flight, and that having made the decision that they continued to sell tickets... That is an objectively bad vibe (laughs) um, that there was the ACCC chair, Gina Cass Gottlieb, and um, the government also having, (laughs) well, feeling the heat from this too, Tom.
1: Well, those flights um, Gina Cass Gottlieb was just talking about, they're calling them ghost flights because they were never going to fly and they were selling tickets to them. Mm. So what the hell was going on there? We'll find out in a federal court case now. And yeah, the government seems to be feeling the heat as well. So... Yesterday, the Assistant Treasurer Stephen Jones walked back comments that the government intervened to protect Qantas profits. So this is in regards to the government's decision to block an application from Qatar Airlines to increase their flight capacity at major airports.
2: comment I made a couple of days ago has been completely misconstrued by some. I made the completely uncontroversial um, uh, statement that Austra- the Australian government wants to ensure that our airline industry is viable and competitive. Well, the context
1: he made it in was very controversial and people have been talking about it all week as the reason the government did that. They're saying it's anti-competition and that's why we're paying way more for our flights. As you'll hear later in the podcast, the Virgin boss said it's pushing up airfares to Europe by up to 40%. Uh, There's been another walk back, Jan, from the government on Qantas. The hits just keep on coming. So the Treasurer, Jim Chalmers, has overruled a more junior minister, Andrew Lee, saying the aviation industry will be included in the government's two-year competition reviews. Because just
0: the background, it was previously excluded. The government wasn't looking too closely into that, looking into various other sectors, Mm. by the way. um, Retail, I believe construction was one of them. Um, Airlines, no. The backflip now is that airlines, yes.
1: Isn't this whole story interesting? Because people have been getting fired up at Qantas, you know, since the end of the pandemic for so many different things. And Alan Joyce, I think, you know, probably thought he was going to walk out of his tenure as CEO. He's about to finish up. He announces the big profit result last week, $2.5 billion, a record. Yes to the shareholders. Mm. And within a week... We're seeing all this outrage and all these backflips.
0: Yeah, somehow I don't feel too sorry for Alan Joyce at all. He walks away with his million-dollar salary. He'll walk away with a million-dollar bonus, two million dollars, or up to four point three. Apparently, if he hits that mark, he'll get millions of dollars worth of Qantas shares, and he'll get to live in his multi-million-dollar house. Apparently, so,
1: he's made one hundred and twenty-five million during his tenure.
0: I don't even know what that number looks like. <laughs> I think he's going to be fine.
1: Yeah. I think it's a bit of a grim finish, though. Um, And it's not over yet. We'll keep talking about this in the briefing, looking in particular at that Qatar Airways decision.
0: Over to the United States now. Donald Trump has pleaded not guilty to election interference in the state of Georgia. So in a court filing, Trump basically waived his right to his arraignment. That means that the former US president won't have to attend the hearing in person next week. So we won't be getting the show that I think we've been getting in the past with all of the convoys and all of the crowds outside. Um, Georgia also doesn't mind a camera in a courtroom, so it saves him having to plead not guilty in front of the nation, I suppose.
1: Well, strangely, it's almost getting boring seeing Donald Trump turn up to court. It's just happening so often.
0: It is. And I, I mean, these court cases, they're, they're due to what, start in March next year, I believe, and run right up to the election in at the end of the year. It's going to be a very spicy campaign, put it that way.
1: Absolutely. And the other news related to the capital riots in 2020 is that the former organiser of the far-right Proud Boys group has been sentenced to 17 years for his role in the attack on the US Capitol, spearheading that attack.
0: Yeah, 17 years is not a small amount of time to spend in prison. He was the one who um, has been accused of leading dozens of Proud Boy members and associates to storm the Capitol. There are approximately 1,100 people that have been charged with capital mm. riot-related federal crimes and 600 of them have been convicted and sentenced.
1: You've got to remember that five people died in those attacks And they nearly overturned an election result. So no wonder the courts are taking it very seriously. And 17 years, wow, that's going to hurt. And house prices are up again. Um, CoreLogic saying they've risen 0.8% just in the month of August. So that means property prices have risen for six consecutive months and have increased by 4.9% during that time. Brisbane has seen the biggest increase in the last month, followed by Sydney. And Adelaide. I think the overall story here is, Jan, that everyone thought the property market would crash when interest rates were jacked up by 4% in a very short space of time, but they've been surprisingly resilient, which is a nightmare for anyone trying to crack the market because not only the prices, more or less what they were, a little bit down still on their peak, but not that far off, but the repayments are astronomical.
0: Here is my question. Does anyone know what they are talking about. Anyone. Because I am not understanding how the property market continues to do what it is doing after that many consecutive interest rate rises, which everyone said would have at least some impact on house prices. We're seeing the opposite. Why? How are we going to start to see things change? And if people come out and say, oh, we're expecting X, Y and Z to happen when the mortgage cliff when, you know, um, the Mm. fixed rate expires for a lot of people. Do we even believe them?
1: Well, they were right, but they just weren't perfectly right. Like, they did come down fairly significantly, but not as much as they thought.
0: Yeah, meanwhile, rental increases, um, they're still happening, starting to slow, now up 0.5%. That is the smallest increase in almost three years. But the issue Mm. is that vacancy rates are just not getting any better. They've dropped to 1.1% in the combined capital cities, and also have a relatively low regional vacancy rate as well.
1: Yeah. Good news, though, that those increases are starting to slow. If they kept going up at, at the rate they were, I mean, it's already a crisis. It just would have gotten even worse. So hopefully they can start to flatten out and renters can get some relief.
0: I've just been hearing about this bubble for 15 years.
1: Oh, that it's about to really yes! burst?
0: Yes! 15 years! Yeah. And it hasn't? No. The, I'm just going to stop listening.
1: The big crash has never come. It just seems to come off, soften for about a year or so, mm. down 10, 15% at the most, but start bouncing back. You know, I guess population keeps growing, supply chain not good enough. Here we are. All right, I'll catch you later, Jen. Going deep on the Qantas saga.
0: Well, it's not up to me. It's up to the Transport Minister who's made the decision. If we get those seats back, airfares will be as low as they possibly could be. I'd guess that would be a
2: reduction of at least a third, maybe 40% reduction in airfares.
1: That was the boss of Virgin talking about the impact of the decision to stop Qatar Airways from increasing its flight volumes. And that's creating a lot of anger because, as you just heard, it's pushing up prices of airfares. And that Qatar Airways decision is firmly in the sights of Jane Hume, She's a Liberal Senator and the Chair of that Cost of Living Inquiry. Jane, thanks for joining us. Why do you think Qantas is facing so much outrage?
2: Well, the government's made a decision around Qatar Airways. They've said that they don't want Qatar Airways to have an additional 21 routes to Australia. And Qantas lobbied very heavily for that to happen. And we heard that at the committee. Now, the problem is, of course, that more competition in any industry means that costs come down, drives mm-hmm. prices down for customers. By denying Qatar Airways additional routes in and out of Australia, you're actually artificially inflating prices of airfares. And of course, it's Australians that are paying the price. And that's why this decision of the government is inexplicable. We've had the ACCC, you know, the Australian Competition and Consumer mm. Commission, essentially the watchdog competition, two former heads of the consumer watchdog have come out and said that this was a bad decision. Economists, one economist actually called it, and I thought this was a great phrase, medal-winning dumb, mm. uh, because Air Force could potentially be slashed by up to 40%. Now, that's according to Virgin and also to Flight Centre, mm. if more competition was introduced into the market. So why would the government choose to keep airfares more expensive, particularly at a time when there's a cost of living crisis going on?
1: So was that the main issue? Because there were so many issues ventilated in that public hearing from them hanging on to their COVID credits to issues around the way they've treated their workers and, you know, offshored some of their workforce. There were concerns about cancellations. For you, was it mostly about this Qatar decision and the international competition?
2: From my perspective, and also from the perspective of the cost of living, which is why the committee met in the first place, yes, this is the biggest decision. Right. But there are also other things that came up. You're right. Uh, we found out at that committee hearing that the amount of flight credits is nearly half a billion dollars. That's an enormous mm. amount of money, and about 100 million more than was revealed yeah. just at the AGM the week before. So, yes, the, the Labor Party had some questions that they wanted answered on industrial relations. In fact, it was Labor that was desperate to have Alan Joyce appear at that cost of living committee rather than just representatives from from Qantas. Well, yeah, it was interesting
1: to see Tony Sheldon from Labor, a former union boss, now a senator, and yourself kind of leading the charge from the two sides, both fired up about Qantas. So, let's get to this decision about the Qatar capacity at Australian airports. How should the government get this right? Because if, if you imagine a different scenario, imagine Qantas isn't doing well. It's, it's losing money and potentially at risk of going broke. And the government has allowed, you know, a Middle Eastern airline propped up on oil money and cheap wages bills to out-compete Qantas. Surely there'd be massive outrage if that were the case too.
2: You'd think so, but it's a hypothetical. Qantas is doing exceptionally well. And this decision, this specific decision, does seem to be like the government's running a protection racket for Qantas we know that they're making a lot of profits. We know that airfares are much higher than they were just a couple of years ago. And this was an opportunity for the government to make decisions that would bring the price of airfares down for ordinary Australians. And we're not just talking about people, you know, travelling to Europe on holidays. We're talking about people going to see family and doing business. And we're also talking about that there's a cross-subsidisation between international airfares and domestic airfares too. So, it's artificially keeping domestic Airfares is high as well. And that's really not fair. We rely on an efficient and effective and cost effective airline industry in Australia in order to keep other prices down. Tourism, hospitality and industry sources reckon that the industry is going to lose out on about $500 million because of this decision. The aviation industry, aviation said that the cost to the economy. Of the Qatar decision alone is worth 540 million and 788 million per year in lost economic activity. So, this is a big decision. And the Transport Minister, Catherine King, hasn't really been able to explain why. She said it was in the national interest, but can't explain why it's in the national interest.
1: So, will anything change here, Jane Hume? Will we just vent our frustration at this hearing and move on? Or do you think this decision about uh, Qatar Airlines could be unpacked?
2: Well, we would hope that the government would explain to Australians exactly why they've chosen to deliberately make a decision to keep airfare prices higher, particularly during a cost of living crisis. But right now what we want to see is the government explain the decision that they have made, come out and say, look, this is the real reason why we're doing this, because quite frankly, otherwise it looks like there's just a slightly too cosy a relationship between Big government and big business, and Australians are paying the price.
1: Okay, so you're a diehard liberal. You you know, you're one of the most outspoken Mm -hmm. shadow ministers. You believe in free markets. Isn't that what's happening here? You know, Qantas, their big meeting really was last week when they announced the record profits to their shareholders. We've got an Australian company making money and abiding by the law. I mean, isn't that how a free market's supposed to work?
2: Yes, exactly right. But unfortunately, this isn't a free market. It's a highly regulated market. And when the government has the power to make decisions about the extent of competition in a market, well, that's an intervention that's causing high prices. Now, we've seen this in other markets too. It's not just airfares. All you have to do is look at the energy market where it's Decisions that the government is making, whether it's on price caps on gas or a safeguard mechanism or the PWRT, which we're about to debate this week. You know, these are all interventions in a free market that are causing higher prices for ordinary Australians. That's why we want to see an explanation for the decision that's been made. And, you know, let's face it, we want Anthony Albanese to look Australians in the eye and say, I have made a decision that's made you pay more. And this is why.
1: Okay, I'd like to ask you about the voice as well. I feel like the Liberals' position, your your party's position, is a little bit confusing. I'm hearing arguments from your side saying it's racially divisive to put race into the constitution, but you support constitutional recognition of Indigenous Australians. Um, You've also said, we don't need this voice, but you support legislated voices, just not this one, this constitutionally enshrined voice. So If you don't want race in the constitution, why support constitutional recognition? And if you don't like the voice, why support voices through legislation?
2: Well, I mean, I think like a lot of Australians, there are very different reasons for not feeling comfortable about the question that's before us. Personally, I support constitutional recognition for Indigenous Australians. It's absolutely right that our foundational legal document reflects Australia's first culture and its people. And and that is the coalition's position. It was John Howard's position. It's Tony Abbott's position. It's every coalition leader's position since. Okay, so putting it's race the, into the constitution is okay, just not but attached to a Labor's voice. it's Labor's position as well. It's Labor's position as well. And there is broad support for constitutional recognition in the country. Now, that doesn't necessarily divide us by race. That is actually just a respectful reflection of Australia's real history. The concern, of course, for us is that, and and, and Australians do feel this way, I think, that they want that constitutional recognition of Indigenous Australians. Mm -hmm. But because it's been tied to the voice, it's like Labor have taken advantage of the goodwill of Australians here. Our approach was that we wanted a bipartisan process, a bipartisan process to take people with us and show a unified country for any successful constitutional recognition. But what's happened instead is that the government seems to have been more interested in its own success in this referendum, the success of The Voice, than in constitutional recognition. They left the path of bipartisanship. And for that, I am profoundly disappointed and saddened because I think it's going to lead to a poor outcome. But that's not Labor's decision. Because- that
1: was actually the what Indigenous Australians asked for through the Uluru Statement. And that had all these regional dialogues leading up to it. So you got this rare united position from Indigenous Australians. And look, I acknowledge it's not all Indigenous Australians, but a, a vast majority and all those leaders came together through a very structured and consultative process and, and they asked for the voice to be tied to constitutional recognition. That wasn't Anthony Albanese's idea.
2: They asked for a voice to parliament, but there was no real model that has been adopted by the government. And the real issue here, Tom, is that if you can't explain how the voice is going to work well, how can you vote for it? If you can't explain it and you cannot change it once it's in the constitution, how can you vote for it? And, and if you can't explain it, you can't change it. And it risks what we already have, which is a foundational document that has supported the most stable liberal democracy in the world for over a century. Well, can you vote for it? It doesn't make you a bad person to say this. It doesn't make you racist. It doesn't mean that you're closed-minded or that you want the same outcomes for Indigenous Australians. We want better outcomes. The question is, is this actually going to be the way to do it and what does it risk? There are other ways we can go about this process. This is not the only way.
1: That was Liberal Senator Jane Hume giving her thoughts on The Voice. Now, on Qantas... I'd normally be a little bit cynical about that Senate hearing. You know, often it's a lot of huffing and puffing hot air from politicians that doesn't necessarily lead to any change when you're talking about a law abiding, profit driven corporation. But this does seem to be working. It's already led to the big change on the COVID credits. Plus, there's that ACCC case now and the class action announced last week. And you can see that the government is really feeling the heat over that Qatar expansion or the blocking of that expansion. So could there be a back down in store there, a compromise, allow more Qatar flights, more competition, cheaper airfares, Well, parliament is sitting again next week. So this will definitely be a focus. You'll be hearing about this in some pretty um, tense question time sessions, I imagine. So we'll be following that closely here on The Briefing. Listener.